Hey guys, welcome to the show. I hope you're well. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And thanks for giving me your ears. And trust me when I say we have some big plans ahead. Producer Ryan has promised me we're going to break the internet in 2020. Or at least that's how I heard it. So who knows if it's true. You know, I've really enjoyed the conversations I've had with my guests and I hope you have too. And I'd like to think there's been something or somebody for essentially all of you. And with that, let's start the show. I was once at a crossroads between playing football and running track. And I wasn't too bad at either, to be honest, but you know my story. But a friend of mine, who goes by the name of Andrew Steele, chose the other route. And that other route led led to him becoming an Olympic bronze medalist, representing Great Britain. So please sit back and enjoy uh, the conversation which we have. Hello, mate. Oh, hello, my friend. How are you doing? <laughs> Very well. How are you? Oh, hang on a second. Why are you laughing? I've just said hello. What's funny? I know it's good. It's just good. It's it's, it's almost too nostalgic to hear. Oh, for real. I was thinking. <laughs> you know, we've we've been friends twenty years. How crazy is that? Is it? That's how long it is. is it, yeah. So how um wait how old were you when you first come to Trafford then? Uh, was that uh, 13, 14, oh, something like that? Yeah, yeah, right, amazing, man. Yeah, twenty <laughs> years, mate. Twenty years. I know, mate. I know. It's but, excellent. But unlike you, I don't have any grey hairs. Yeah, I mean, I've got plenty of grey hairs as you saw from my beard in that uh, in that shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're definitely getting <laughs> yeah, there. It. But thanks for being <laughs> on the show anyway. I've um no, no, very good, very good. I've got uh I've got a few things I want to talk to you about. I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Right before to start off. I said this to you yesterday in just a bit of prep, but like, tell me about your working titles. Like, what what are you? Who are you? Yeah, yeah, cool. So, um, so firstly, I guess I am an Olympic medalist. Oh, um, just drop that though, in first. Even though, even though I'm retired from competing now, I can still claim that, which is good. That's not bad um, at all. Yeah, and then day to day, I'm head of product at a company called DNA Fit, and I was one of the founding team there. So I was like employee number one, more or less, um, at the company, which uh, we do uh, basically a genetics. Oh no, no, don't, don't uh, say company. it. Yeah, don't spill it. Yeah, I'll oh, be asking okay. you about that. I just want you to tell Okay, cool, cool, story, cool. Just very good. Yet. Yeah. Head of product then. Um, yes, yeah, sport. I've been a sports manager as well. I am so Greg Rutherford's uh, Olympic long jumper. I'm his commercial manager too. So yeah, a few things. I've been a music producer. <laughs> I've been a DJ. <laughs> I've had a, yeah, I've had a few strings to the bow over the years. Yeah, that's very cool. So can we start off by talking about? Um, so over here, you have to call it track and field, but back home right. we, we do call it athletics. So. You know, anyone over here, if I say athletics, I mean track and field. Let's let's talk about from back in the day, because, you know, I first met you at Trafford AC when I was running there, running against Carlos Holder. You remember him? I do indeed. I know him well still. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. T- tell me, like, what was it like for you back then before you turned professional? And, like, did you actually want to turn professional or not? So, no, I mean, you know, if you think back to those days when uh, you were, you know, sprinting alongside me. Um, <laughs> Never happened. You know, uh, no, it did, it did, it did. So, like, obviously, we, you know, we were all just having fun, right? And we were young and, and um wasn't really too serious. And I actually used to say, like, actually, I had no intentions, no desires to be a professional track athlete. One, because I didn't know really what that meant and if that was, like, in a career. Uh, and two, just because I, I kind of wasn't that, I wasn't that keen on it. I thought, hey, you know, I like it. I enjoy this, but I'd rather do something else. But, um, I mean, you know, if we sort of fast forward through the years, I, I got a little bit better and I won the English schools, which is, uh, for anyone who says, like the national, you know, schools championship. You came, where did you come? I, I was second. I was second. Uh, I was second to yet. Craig Pickering, right? Yeah, I'm still not over it, though. I'm still not over it, so who, please listen to that. Who until recently... That. 
who until recently worked for me as well for many years. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and then and then eventually I found myself about to go to university at 18 years old or college. Um, and actually, uh, someone offered me some money to run in a race in Italy, and I was like, "Oh wow, okay, cool, I'll hang do on that." A second, hang on. Was this uh, was this legal? Because it sounds very backhanded, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the underground world of illegal yeah. track and field races. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was real. And someone said, "Hey, you can come and run in our race, and we'll pay you to come." And also, then if you win, we'll give you this money. And and I did that, and I won. And I was like, "Oh wow, I've got some cash." I mean, and when I say some cash, I mean like you know, really small amount of cash. Eighteen, that's big but, cash, though. That's big cash yeah, exactly. It was big, it was big cash eighteen, and uh, and so and I, and I won that, and I loved it. And basically, gave me an excuse to tell everyone that, "Oh no, I should I shouldn't go to university. I shouldn't go and study. I should do this." And actually, that that happened. I never expected it to happen for long, but that happened until right up until this day and I unfortunately never never studied after after that and um, right. competed for like 12 13 years yeah that's 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 really interesting that do you know looking back do you think you should have gone to college do you think you should have maybe gone to like an american college with like a track and field program or, or what do you reckon yeah uh, well i think like the u.s collegiate system is um is really really good for the best of both worlds right and it's, it's probably i would look at that system around the world and i see the best example of a, a sort of sports and education balance um looking back at it for sure i should have studied and I, one of my biggest regrets actually is that i didn't because i could have done both and um, one of the things that I guess happens in the UK is everyone goes to you, hey, yeah, you can you can go to college any time in your life. But reality is you can't. You need to strike while you're young and you can you can do both. And I wish I had I wish I had because actually, you know, I would have enjoyed the study part as well as the, the college life, I guess, as well as the, the sports part, too. What have you studied? Well, I, I I don't know, you know, <laughs> because my, my my as we said, my broad like many strings to my bow over the years. I'm not quite sure what I've done. The first time I almost went to study, it was to study Spanish and business. Okay. Um, so I can yeah, I can speak Spanish now anyway, so I've got that bit. But um, but uh, and I've got the business experience, I guess, as well. But maybe it would have helped me. Okay, okay. So talk to me. <laughs> Obviously, you said you're a, an Olympic medalist. Um, we'll go into the details of that a bit later, but. Mm. the peak of your powers during your professional career, when would you say that was? So that was when I, in theory, won my Olympic medal. 2008. Um, 2008. So I completed the Beijing Olympic Games in 2008. Turns out that was my only Olympic Games. It was when I ran my fastest, ran under 45 seconds in the 400 metres, the quarter mile, which is a pretty sort of benchmark, good, important benchmark there. And that was like, I was amazing. And, and I think I would have been, really fast in 2009 as well but a particular injury came in the, in the middle of the season but I reckon I could have um, almost like competed to you know, give a shot at running the British record in 2009 because training had gone so well but it was snatched from me by a, a pretty nasty injury throughout the 2009 season Who has the record? Uh, you and Thomas right. remember you and Thomas? Yeah, so, uh, Thomas, yeah, yeah. For, for, 44.36 I think so, and I've run 44.94 yeah, okay. that's, that's the best I've got to So you are pretty quick then <laughs> Uh, it was quite quick, but you know that's still <laughs> that point six of a second is a long way when oh, it comes it is, to yeah. sprinting. Oh, I know yeah, about yeah, it. Don't worry about it. that. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't yeah. worry about that. So all those years passing, you, you you go to the Olympics. You've represented Great Britain for all that time, and then say recently, I've been speaking to Aniko Onura, and she's just retired. Yeah. And I've heard yeah. her story. Like, what was your story about retirement? Like, why did you finish it? So. um I was quite lucky in a way, right? Because in the last few years of my career, I joined my business now and I was able to kind of dovetail the kind of my talent ebbing away on the track with like the growth of this oh, business. Did you say ebbing away? 
Is that what Literally. happens? Talent just disappears. <laughs> it, it just, it, it really did. Like I, I, suddenly, I just, no matter how well I trained, no matter how perfectly I did stuff, it just was not there. And like, I guess a lot of sports people probably will find that the same. You know, either you get injured too much, even if you're not injured, you just not got that fire, that particular spark you used to have. And um, the way I always describe the 400 meters is it got zero skill. I'm not self-deprecating right it genuinely is just like can you just exhaust all your energy systems and hold on for a little bit longer than everyone else that, that's literally all it is so as you get old it becomes particularly hard to maintain yeah you say old but you're not, you're not that old relatively speaking but, are you? no 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 in real life like young right but 35 or middle age so, yeah. so how, yeah. um, how old were you when you retired that was um, three years ago, so yeah, 32. Yeah. And, and so with that, did you just suddenly decide one day you're not going to do it or did you decide at the end of this season I'm not going to do it or how did it work out? So, so I was running up to the Rio 2016 Olympic Games and basically, obviously, if I'd made the team... I would have gone to the games and then after that I would have retired but I went to the Olympic trials and I didn't even make the final so that was like game over like there was no question about it at all and, um, and, I, I, and it was a relief you know how did you I, mean, I, I, I found it I found it really quite uh, pleasant <laughs> so, so <laughs> I, like it was look, it, look it is a, you do get this like existential angst right you, you're like actually who am I what am I and I'm I'm really interested actually in this concept of how sports people navigate from sport life to normal life and it's a really difficult period for a lot of people. You know, you've probably uh, spoken to people in football the same, right, or in soccer the same, who who actually, when they stop having that clear purpose of what they do every day and why, it becomes a really difficult thing, regardless of how much cash you might have or yeah. whether you've got a job. It's just something like, who am I, right? And it's yeah, a really for difficult sure. process. For sure. I think I think with that, though, the there are quite a few people who I know when they have families and they are more sort of grounded in the real world the change obviously is hard, but it's not as hard as it is for some people who solely want to exist within that space where they are competing all the time. You know, That's but- right. So as a, as a young sports person, you get told, right, you have to dedicate everything to this. You've yeah. got to be super disciplined. You've got to live like a monk who does everything just right. Yeah. And that, that serves a purpose for a time, but it can become too much. And actually, you need that. Just as in work life, you need a work-life balance. In sport, you need a sport-life balance too. And it'll only make you compete better. And it also leaves you in a much better position once you actually leave the sport to say, hey, this is who I am and this is what I'm worth to people, regardless of my ability at this particular like physical task, which I've become well-known for. So um, now I think it's like a, it's so important that every sports person keeps an, an aspect of their personality, which is nothing to do with their sporting ability. Yeah, for sure. So I used to I used to run track or whatever but I went down the route of being a professional footballer so you as a professional athlete how exactly did it work financially because my way speaks for itself because people will tell me mm. what I'm earning people will tell me what this person is <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah it's like public knowledge it. right yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how it works like literally nevertheless <laughs> it's public knowledge you can see it online but how does yeah. it work in athletics because I see a lot of people who don't who aren't as invested in the sport as say I was or you were mm. or whatever you know they only see Usain Bolt doing a Virgin Media advert on TV they'll see him selling That's right. like, see him selling that and you know that off the back of that he's earning very good money but he's a one percenter maybe less so how does it work oh, yeah, for less, yeah. so how does it work for everybody else like financially well, how did you actually have a career 
Well, in most cases, it kind of doesn't work, right? People just, I think there was a study, especially of US track and field athletes, and it was something like 95% of professional track athletes earned less than $15,000 a year. So that's not really a living. You can't live off that, right? So, um, but actually, it's very messy the way you make money. So if you're you're running fast, depending on where you're from, your national governing body, so UK sport in the UK, uh, USA track and field, might have some grants or some funds available to support your life in some way right so that might exist it might not depending on where you're from secondly if you're quick enough you might get the interest of like a shoe company so a nike and adidas who if they think you're marketable might give you some free stuff they might give you some money just bonuses off your performances and if you're a big name of course they'll pay you a good contract so for most of the famous track and field athletes the people you would see you know on a marketing campaign their main source of income will be that like shoe contract effectively Um, But the other part that people don't realize is that actually, especially in the European circuit, which is kind of the, just like in soccer, actually, it's kind of like the biggest circuit for the professional sport. Um, You, if you are like of a decent standard, you can get paid to appear at these professional meets, these one-off like Grand Prix, as they call them, Um, the Golden League, Diamond League, all these different names over the years. And you also get some prize money for them. But the appearance fees are where the big names make most of their money. So Bolt used to famously use up all the meetings budget, right? If they wanted Bolt, they had to like (laughs) give them, if they had a budget of 500,000 euros, they would give it all to Bolt. And and that's genuinely would be his appearance fee in some occasions. So, So that's like the bulk of it for the big names. But for everyone else, you just like scrape by and if you try and show up on your skills at public speaking so you can do some of that in businesses or in schools and you try and like get your instagram followers up nowadays and, and try and make some money through that right so it's kind of like you just have to be a hustler yeah. and, uh, and you can't rely on it and if you get an injury then it's game over you know you're out like and you, you can't earn it. you know that's so wild and that's one of the things i believe that a lot of people forget to see in the world which is an individual within a mm. sport as opposed to someone individual within a team sport because within a team sport you know the success is it's fine, but you don't necessarily live and die by it. Like you've got guaranteed years on your contract. You know you're gonna earn this money. Someone will want you somewhere. Mm. Blah blah blah. Even if you're not performing, you can you'll just fall down the ranks, but you'll still remain paid. Whereas you know, that's it in individual sport. If it's so cutthroat, if you're not doing it, you doesn't matter how much you try. Like you just there's nothing there, is there? No, no, and also like there isn't those ranks, right? There's kind of like the very top, maybe one level beneath, and then there's nothing. And um, the fundamental difference is we aren't employed by anyone. There's no one giving us a job to be on their team or to run for them. And actually, there's no, amazingly, there's no union. There's no collective bargaining agreement. There's no power for the, for the, for the athletes. People don't realize, you go to the Olympic Games, the, you know, the International Olympic Committee make like $4 billion every four years selling the broadcast rights, and you have to compete for free. Your national governing body has to pay for you to be there, and you can't wear your own sponsor on the track. So there's like no body which looks after the rights of the people that actually the sport needs to exist. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy, crazy world, actually, that there isn't that level of protection and something I hope that you know, I can play a role in actually helping create over the coming years. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that needs to be done. Can you tell needs me, to be done. Oh, yeah. oh, hang on. It sounds like something needed to be done 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah of course it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Can, can you tell me about a day in the life or like a season for someone that was doing what you were doing? Because I can tell you about mine and I want I want to do a direct comparison because when I was at um, QPR, a guy came in called Dan Bernardin and I think he worked in track and field and he would always tell me about how these individuals who are trying to compete in athletics 
it's such an individual thing. You have to be here mm. this time. You have to do this yourself. You have to do that yourself. Whereas, say, in my life, if, if I really, really wanted to do nothing, I could completely get away with doing nothing because there's always somebody to do it for you. You can get someone to come and collect you. Get someone to come and collect you from your house. You can get in. You can have a massage first thing in the morning. How do you feel? Are you okay to train? No, not today. Okay, just stay inside. I'll look after you. You know, I'll help you with these weights. I'll help you create this program. I'll help you do this. I'll help you do that. And don't get me wrong. It's not like everybody does do that, but there's scope to do it. And you know, yeah. if you're not playing well, someone say, "Oh, we just try again next week." And I've seen people. I've trained with people across my 15 year career or whatever who actively don't try from Monday through Friday but they always get started wow. for Saturday and just because they ha- <laughs> but they're the ones who have like they they pe- people tell you they've got the talent they can win you the game they can do this and some people you know they have the talent and they work hard and as a consequence they're respected by their teammates whereas other people they have the talent and they just choose to use it whenever they want but the fans like if they don't play the fans be like oh he needs to play he needs to play he needs to play all this stuff but yeah tell me about a day in the life of say you when you when you're at your peak now how, what type of mm. day would you have say during the season so very different to the to the, the thing you just described right but basically i'd you know choose what time i'm going to train <laughs> like, okay. you know, make it choose it myself set it myself as you know um we had the same coach at the time and, and steve remain steve ball he was called remain my coach through nearly all of my career um and he's unpaid so he's doing it as a as a side job like after his work during the day as a window fitter so i'd try and work around that so he, he could be there i'd go to just get up you know, make my own food, make my own way to the track, um, settle with Steve on what we should do that we think is best. And then if I wanted to do anything other than our just our core like running at the track, um, I had to find my own strength and conditioning coach, find a gym which would let us train in there that allowed us to drop the bar or use Olympic lifting platforms, or find those complex things, find myself a physio, find myself a nutritionist, pay for all these people individually. So you really are like a true freelancer. Um, and if I wanted to go to a training camp, I'd have to find somewhere, arrange access to that track, obviously book the accommodation, do all that. And that gives you some freedom, right? Because you can actually differentiate yourself from other athletes that you might be competing against and get better setups. But it takes cash and it takes administration. And um, the admin is the key load for you, actually, because you're like, how do I know how to book a track that's in Greece or in America like you know, in the US? It just, it's really hard to, to work out. And over the years, you, you get your routine. Um, but actually it's, um, you have to be like a true freelancer who has to set himself up and you almost have to take that investment in what you do there for most of the year. Cause remember, unlike soccer, we only compete for like four months of the year. Mm. So the season only really runs from May through to September ish. And actually from that outside of that, you've just got to train, invest in what you think you'll be able to do come next summer, um, and hope that it works out. And if it doesn't work out at the last minute, it was just all, all for nothing. Mm. So you've got to be super like self-disciplined, you have to be quite entrepreneurial. You have to be quite creative to find you know the best people to work with, choose how to work with them, figure out if you can afford to pay for them and, and so on and manage your like injuries with your physio, etc. So you're really not looked after at all. Um, and then everyone that, you know, say a national governing body who selects the team, they just leave it in your hands and then hopefully they reap the spoils effectively if you do well. So, um, so it's kind of a, it's a really, really different lifestyle than a team environment like you just described. Do you know, that's so interesting to hear because when I spoke to um, my friend Dan Bernardin, who was at QPR, when he came in and mm. told me about stories of people like yourself, like it inspired me more than it made me think, oh, look at those guys struggling. Because from, that, yeah. from that point, 
I realize that I can be myself and other people around me, should they choose to be, can be a lot more self-sufficient should they choose to be. And yeah. off, I think the next season, I basically looked after myself to a point where I had a foam roller and I had the space, don't get me wrong. But I wasn't the guy who, like I've had guys who before training require like two hours massage in a sensual yeah. setting and all this stuff. Like, I, <laughs> it was crazy. But I ended up being <laughs> the person, as I say, with my foam roller and just general an ability to learn about my body and pay attention to what matters and what doesn't. I played every minute of every game. I took part in every training session for the whole year, which was the very first wow. time my career did that. And that was with the least amount of help. Which That's is amazing. Yeah. And, but yeah. obviously when I say least amount of help, I did have the space to use the gym and, you know, we did have a strength and conditioning coach, but I felt self-sufficient and it felt empowering. Well, because I think I like I think I think as a you know as an individual sports person, you need to feel that ownership actually to get the best out of yourself. Even if you've got everyone paying for it around you, or you've got the facilities provided to you, if you feel like you owned that journey of you being in control and improving and pushing the envelope and adapting and getting better, then you're obviously going to play better, right? It just feels like a natural decision. And I think one of the challenges of um, a well-funded team environment can be that, is that the responsibility for, for, for performance is taken out from the away from the individual because there's so many staff and team around them. Mm. Um, whereas you obviously, like, you were like, hey, I'm accountable for this here. I've yeah. made this decision. And therefore you probably play better. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, sure. So it's, it's just finding that balance, right? Because I can, I can listen to what you said and think, wow, I would have loved that. But at the same time, it may have like um, weakened some of my natural like instincts to just make the best out of myself, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And with that as well, it so it did empower me. And the people around me who are in the roles that have been around me for the past few years are really good at their jobs. And sometimes, like, um, we have a, we have a uh, massage therapist here called KK, and she always says, oh, you're not going to get any uh, treatment today. You're not going to get any treatment today. I'm like, nah, nah, I'm all right. Until my leg's hanging off, I'll, I'll be all right. And she, initially, before she knew me, she thought it was, like, a, it was a personal thing, but it's not. It's just the way that really- my mind has become now. Like, I, I appreciate the job that they do, but it's not something which I feel that I need. And unfortunately, I think for some people, even though it does help them, it almost becomes a crutch to the point where if they don't have it, they think that they can't perform. And that, That's the biggest risk, I think, isn't it? Imagine imagine you can't access that particular therapist on the day of the biggest match yeah. and for, 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 for a really legitimate reason. Yeah. And then suddenly that's a, it's almost like a superstition that you've not got there to support you almost and, and it can change your performance and that's a real shame, actually. Right. It really <laughs> yeah. is. And I've, seen, and I've seen, it, yeah. seen it happen to people and, you know, it's each their own. People can have the superstitions, traditions, put your left sock on for, first, then your right, whatever. But for me, it's never been that because I, I tend to sit on the other side and logically I can see that you put your left sock on first and your right, but then you still couldn't hit the goal from like a yard out. So, you know, yeah, you yeah. keep doing that, again, but that's fine. But, I, I'm aligned, man. I'm, I'm so against that kind of like, I need to have uh, done this in this particular way because that's like insulting your own talent. Almost. Yeah. Saying, oh, the only reason I'm good is because I put my socks on this way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Can, uh, so within my team, I think... Um, Oh, in fact, there were more before, but there's a guy called Justin Glad, a guy called Aaron Herrera, um, a guy who's just left called Brooks Lennon, and a guy who's just left called Sebastian Salcedo. And they're potentially going to be in the U.S. soccer team taking part in the Olympics next year. And I'm a bit jealous, to be honest, because I wasn't part of the Team GB team from 2012. Mm. And they're going to go and do that. And that, for me, the Olympics is the biggest event in the world. I know we have World Cups and things like this, but for me, the Olympics transcends everything because it literally involves every nation. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's a yeah. true world, world event. And I want to know from you, what, what's it actually like, firstly, finding out you're going to the Olympics and then secondly, taking part in it. What is that What is that like? 
well, the whole event is just crazy, and I, I can't uh, I can't exaggerate enough just how weird and surreal it is being there right so when you make it you think okay cool it's another championship you get selected you're like wow and, but it does change people's perception of you around because suddenly you could be like the best athlete in the world they ever known you could be a you know, world record holder be everything that you ever could be if you didn't go to the olympic games people don't think you're very good mm. <laughs> so so like it, it changes that and then secondly when you get there it's stupid because they build this entire city basically you live in this place where everybody around you is like the superlative of what they are. So they're either the tallest or the smallest or the strongest or the fattest or the yeah. fastest. And and, okay. and they all live 24 hours a day in this sort of contained, like almost like a utopia, right? Where like everyone's just really talented at what they do. And um, and they, they wear their colors of where they're from 24 hours a day. So you're not just like, you're never in your own like clothes. You're all there walking around. You have these like bikes to just cycle around the village because it's so big you could you've got you like the everything's for free you've got free food 24 hours a day of all the different cuisines of the world like so some people get fat when they get there because they just go crazy there is the biggest shock to people realize is there's a free mcdonald's in the olympic village and there has been since like 1950 really? <laughs> and, and, wow. and that is the longest line the longest wow. line for food in the village right. is the mcdonald's <laughs> so <laughs> i've even been to one championship where they had a free bar like free alcohol really? bar yeah, right, yeah. Okay. So, so people go go mad, and people can go mad, and it can like it can be detrimental to your performance because suddenly you're like, oh my god, I want to take advantage of this. I'm, I've got to like, or they go the other way and they don't let themselves enjoy any of it because they're so nervous. Yeah, um, and it can crush people as well. Yeah. You know, like the, the the scale of the occasion. Yeah. and I just can't describe the the noise of like being in the stadium. The difference between an ev- a big world championship to the Olympics was so it's sort of defined by when you turn up for the early morning pre-qualification round that you're running in at like 9am the stadium's full yeah. like 80,000 people are there and, and like and you realise everybody you've ever met is watching it and you're like oh my god this is like so big so it's just a it's just a different level than anything I've ever experienced it's quite amazing really yeah so what was it like then winning a medal and can you tell people well, what the medal was because I don't think you've actually said what, you've, what no, you really do so, <laughs> so and that's half an hour so, so you're worse than that's me. right yeah yeah so but I haven't even i didn't even win the medal at the time right so here's the interesting story so so i in the four by 400 meter relay in 2008 we finished fourth behind the russian team and then if any of your listeners have watched the netflix documentary icarus um this basically is the story of an institutionalized russian doping program and eventually that was found out so in 2017 nine years after i ran the race I was actually awarded the bronze medal for the 4x400-meter relay. Um, And we were upgraded, and we got presented with that medal in the London Olympic Stadium instead of Beijing. So I left Beijing, and for the nine years afterwards, feeling like almost, but that was kind of a failure. And then it turns out, actually, it was quite successful. (laughs) So, um, so, So I won the Olympic medal but in a roundabout way and and, uh, a a very bizarre way, but still I'm pleased to have it now. Yeah. That's... This is... You've you kind of thrown me off a bit because you, you're good at this. You're good at this. You, you're covering a lot of topics which I've got written down, but not in the order which I've got written down. So you, I'm, I'm sorry, having to mate, juggle sorry. things around a little bit. Because I want to talk about athletics from your your viewpoint about, say, people like role models and icons and things like this. And one of them, okay. one of the topics was going to be about, say, potential Russian behavior. But um, I'll start soft. I'll start soft. So for when you oh, were, when me. you were coming through, I wonder yep. if you, yours will be the same as mine here, but who were your role, role models within the sport? So... Obviously, definitely looked up to Michael Johnson. That was probably the you know the primary guy I looked at, and I'll, I'll tell you why I looked up to him. Not 
just because he was fast and he was fast. Yeah, <laughs> world, record, fast. World, world record holder at the 200 and the 400 metres. But it was almost as well like the persona he projected outside of the track, I really respected. And you know, I remember reading, he had a book called Slaying the Dragon, which was kind of like a bit self-helpy. It was a bit like Anthony Robbins-esque almost, but it was it was quite powerful. And I read that when I was really young. I didn't read books at the age. And that's how young I was. Right? I didn't really choose to read books. But um, and actually, I thought, yeah, this this is quite good because he's he's talking about the fact that actually, you know, what, the kind of person you need to be, like as well as just be really good at the thing you do. Um, and I would say, you know, from uh, you know, you know, from the years like we've known each other, for sure, you know, you don't seem to fit the mold of that reputation of what a soccer player was, right? And yeah. and, and you know, and that's I, there's probably some similarities there. I'd always wanted to be more than just like a sports person and, and use the values you get from sport to improve you as a human being away from the track, you know. So um, so yeah, he was definitely my role model for sure. Yeah. How about um, slightly different, slightly different? How about just icons? within that time frame so not necessarily people who you looked up to but people who you would look at and say yeah they're very good they're, they're an icon of the sport in the same way say like bolt was whilst you were running mm. so i mean he was there right he was he was probably the one of the biggest names um in the uk like you know we had a lot of like famous famous athletes at the time so we had so sort of colin jackson roger black ewan thomas jamie bolsh there was a load of 400 meter runners that were really good um so yeah so you know i looked up to them a little bit but to be honest apart from michael johnson and apart from do you remember johnny wilkinson the english rugby player who was the english how rugby captain you? how dare you even ask me that question he's a national <laughs> hero of course respect. right your listeners might not know much about it if they're in the US, but well, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, don't ask yeah. me the question. Come on, you better. Than <laughs> yeah. That. All right. So, so Johnny Wilkinson was the captain of the English rugby team, which is uh, a little bit like NFL, but without pads or helmets. And um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and 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 um, and he again the same thing, like superb, like sports person but almost like embodied something more uh, off the field, away from the field. And, and so that I really looked up to him and I still do actually as the character he was. But other than that, I'm not big on, wasn't big on role models. Like never, never was really. <laughs> like I just sort of like, yeah, yeah, I'll be good. Yeah, fine. All right. So now as a person who would train very hard, compete really hard, would work really hard to try and achieve everything that they could. And sometimes it would, sometimes would not. How would you, how did you feel? And how would you feel when you find out that someone who you raced against was a cheat? How did that affect you and how did it affect the people around you? Yeah, so I guess that primarily is disappointing, right? So, like, it's like, you know, that they always say the worst thing is, like, yeah, if your parent's not angry at you, if they're disappointed in you. That's how I feel like, be like, it'd be like, why did you feel that you had to do that? Because I personally believe that you can probably still win everything without doing so. Yeah. Um, but it's just a shortcut. And my, my one argument is, hey, if you're using this as a way to just like earn a little bit more money, there's a lot of easier way and more money by doing something that's cheating. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of other crime you can do, which yeah. is a lot more lucrative if you want to just earn cash. And so it's almost like a personal greed thing. It's like a, it's, it is just like, it's indicative of that person's personality. And if you choose to cheat, you choose to like, do, not just like potentially further your own, um, betterment like ahead of others illegally you're actually ruining the sport and if you're ruining the sport you're just like you're actually you're ruining potential income for thousands and thousands of people and potential joy for millions of people watching the sport and that's actually happened in athletics like in track and field the, the view numbers are going down attendees of the major events are going down because people have lost their confidence in is this what we're viewing is this real now and so it's a big big problem it's got endemic uh, um, sort of 
qualities to it that mean it doesn't it can't just go away now and, and that's a real big challenge for the sport yeah I, I agree with that and it kind of feels like a bit like that with cycling as well because someone yeah, 100%. has done something that's so egregious or whatever mm. you're always looking at achievements now and wondering well that person previously could only do it because they had something within them so surely this person's doing similar and the shame is, it could it could genuinely have been like a small handful of individuals, but yeah. they're the high profile ones. Yeah. So it taints the entire sport. Yeah. And uh, I really do think in track and field that it's apart from the Russian sort of state level institutionalized doping. It, over the years, it's been a very small handful of individuals that got greedy. But of course, the ones that got greedy were the ones that won. So they're high profile when they cheat, and it ruins the reputation. And I really do believe that it's a very very small minority um apart from perhaps the the russian case yeah that's the thing now so if if in 2020 someone goes to the olympics or someone qualifies for the olympics that comes out comes out the blue and runs a time which is like the second fastest time in history in the 100 meters or whatever the first question will be asked is well is he cheating that's yeah, of course. And it's understandable, right? It's understandable, but it's such a shame. It's like a real shame because like, you just then lose any of the inspiration which we should take from watching sport and yeah. how it like embodies the things of hard work and luck and etc. And, and so it's a real it's a real shame. I mean, thankfully, soccer's not really been as tainted from it. Um, and why do you why do you think that is? That doesn't seem like I'd love to ask you that question. Um, do you know what? Some people do do things. People do things a lot that break the rules. But yeah. it just depends where you are. So testing over here at the moment is very different to what testing was like back in England. So here, mm. I've, since I've been here in the two seasons, we've been tested four times, maybe five. But when I was in London last, play, this was playing in the Championship, not even the Premier League. We could be mm. tested twice in a week, three times in a week. It could be 10 yeah. times in a year. You'd be tested after games, after training sessions. You'd have to do the whereabouts thing where you could be tested in your home if you're not at the training ground. Yeah, But, yeah. It's, but it's different now, so... I wouldn't necessarily say that the usage is less, but just within a team sport like this, what advantage you're really able to gain? Like you could be the fittest you've ever been, but if you can't control the football, yeah. then what value do you really have to the team? That's right. I think they, I think they, they, it's not as clearly performance enhancing, is yeah. it? You know, it will definitely help and it definitely goes on, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's sure. like, I, I guess if you're running a hundred meters, that you you can either get stronger yeah. to get faster or you can't get faster right yeah, so exactly. so, so is it, there's a clear pathway to why you might take that risk to cheat yeah. and also i guess the rewards are, are maybe high enough in soccer that you know maybe maybe people don't feel as incentivized to cheat because they're not going to go bankrupt by not you know being the absolute best there is in the world you yeah. know so yeah maybe some people, that's some people, it. some people do it because there's so much ego and pride within the sport anyway you want to be the best yes you want, to, you want people to pat you on the back like this goes back to what we were saying about the transition into retirement for some people like when you say when sorry when dan told me about people who are self-sufficient i thought that's great because a lot of those skills will help them in the real world but when you exist in this environment and everything is being done for you when all of a sudden you have to leave <laughs> that team and you no longer work in that environment who's going to do the things for you are you able to do it? And chances are for a lot of people, it's no. It's just a big yeah. fat no. And, you know, that will affect people. I've got, what, sir, yeah. one more, I've got one more question on drugs and then I'm going to go and talk about some things. Yeah. yeah? So sometimes whenever someone gets caught doing something and it's big news on TV, like most people, as is the case with, say, Olympic years and so on, everyone all of a sudden becomes an expert on sports which they've never watched before. Never. Yes. You know what I mean? That's just the way that it works. It's annoying, but whatever. But someone said, Oh, a few people said this with drugs, cheats, and stuff in, um, say, cycling or whatever. Why don't they just let everyone take whatever they want to take? Surely that would make it more fair. Mm. Are you the type of person that would condone that or not? 
No, I wouldn't condone it because, um, and the way the reason I wouldn't is so right now, what we consider cheating versus not cheating when it comes to a substance you take is kind of arbitrary. Right? There's no real logic to it. So, to give you an example, drinking too much coffee in 1992 in the Bar- Barcelona Olympics could have potentially got you a failed doping test right. whereas uh, come come 2016 or even i think even 1996 they decided to get rid of that because they thought actually it's too common that people drink coffee right it's too normal even though caffeine is probably the only substance which has got the true scientific evidence that it is performance enhancing yeah. so it's re- it's really really good performance enhancer but it, it's not banned because it's too normal so that's fine but when you set that line people will always just go across that line so if you say nothing's banned but where do you draw that line so you might draw the line and say well it's banned to um put you know a spring in in your in your shoes right or it's banned to put like a, a combustion engine on your back or whatever it is right? there's they, people will just then continue to cross the line because there will have to be some sort of line so you're not allowed to be a robot when you do this or you're not allowed to you're not allowed to take something which will make you die next year yeah, like okay. like you know, um uh, but people will, will still cross those lines so the point is we do set this line it's arbitrary we we may as well keep it as close as to where it is now if we can. Because if we try to get rid of it, people will just do the cheating thing. It's in human nature, I guess. Yeah. So I just don't think it'll be any good. And you'll just end up with this weird like circus that you're watching if people people are just calming their health in order to run slightly faster all the time. I'll tell you a good test of a uh, sportsman's character. This is a question which I've asked a few of my peers along the way. And the people who are closest to me always answer the same way that I answer. And I'm sure you would as well. If you existed in a world where, say, you were an elite cyclist, like Lance Armstrong was when he was younger, like as a kid, and he's really winning everything, or he's very close to the top at everything. Then he gets older, and all of a sudden, he starts to not be at the top anymore. And you find out that the reason you're not at the top is because the people ahead of you are doping. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we're talking the majority now, even if it's 51%, the majority are not yeah. doping. But all those people you used to beat when you were younger. If you, know yeah. this is to be, if you know this to be the case, and you want to have a career within said sport, you need to be at the top to make the money. So in that moment, what do you do as a professional? Do you choose to stay true to what is right? Or do you step to the dark side because you deserve to be up there with all them because you know for a fact you're better than them on a level playing field? Well, I put the same question to just like normal life, right? If it turned out that, hey, you know, I'm in an office and I'm doing really well and I've got a job, but if I want to earn more money, everybody else is earning more money are actually like selling drugs, illegally and you go okay yeah well but but they're doing something (laughs) illegal something cheating right right. and then you have to say well actually if i want to get to that level then i need to do this crime Uh, so it's the same concept right so you either have that character or you don't and i think you know if you if i got to that stage and it felt like genuinely wow if i'm going to compete at this level i do need to cheat and I'll say it's probably not worth competing at that level yeah. and I'll do something else because that's the same in everyday life. If you if you have to break the rules in order to just be, um, uh, you know, at a, a everyday playing level with everybody else, then it's probably not worth being at that, trying to be in that game at all because yeah. otherwise that's a, just a test of your character, whether you're the kind of person that cheats or yeah. you're not. And you're showing good character, but I'd have to say a lot of people have asked would go the other way. And, you know, they would, man. Yeah, they would, and but that's why we're in the position we're in. Yeah, thank you. Know? I, so, I don't really speak to a lot yeah. of those people very often, so yeah, it's all good. But you know, you can go, you can go dark with all those that, the, the comparisons there, right? In any time there's been like atrocities in different, like different parts of the world through humanity's history, yeah. it's when if everybody else does it, does that mean it's okay? Like, of course it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's exactly the same in sport. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, let's talk to about um, your company. Yes. 
Okay. I sure. would like I would like you to tell me and the listeners what exactly is it? What's the name? Like how did it what is it? How did it begin and what's your role within the company? Cool, cool. So short uh, short description of what we do. The company's called DNA Fit. We make a DNA test which can help identify how your genetics respond to different types of exercise, different types of food, different types of well-being stuff and health markers as well. Basically, so people can understand how their DNA might uh, affect the way they should eat, the way they should work out um, to get the best out of themselves. So, um, so pretty cool. Um, we're about 160 people in the company group as a, as a whole now. When we started in 2013, it was two, two or three of us. So, um, uh, pretty good growth. Um, basically, like a you know, um, been a pretty rapid you know, journey we've been on over the last six years. And I came to know about it through sport, right? So, um, I mentioned I did quite well at Beijing Olympic Games. And as you remember, you probably remember Nader, when we when we used to train. If anyone's listening, Manchester, where we're from, is sort of known as like you know, salt of the earth, like hard graft, right? We just just we just run and run and run. Oh, we had a, we? Yeah. We, we had a we had a coach who would smoke 40, 40 cigarettes a day and just tell us to be like, yeah, we'll just go and do some more mileage, lads. You know, we'll we just like, we'll get it. In. And and um, so I used to train in a way that we, for the four hundred meters, the sprint event, which was considered quite unorthodox at the top level because it was very endurance based. We did a lot of mileage, right? And after Beijing. Looking forward to London 2012, the home Olympic Games, the biggest possible occasion for a sports person in the UK. Um, the pressure was put on me by like my performance director, the people that pay my bills, etc., to say, well, look, everybody else at the top level trains the other way. They're more like sprint athletes who do less endurance for your event. You should probably do that too. And I took their advice and um, actually it didn't work. So over the next four years, my career just went downhill. I went from number one in the UK to number seven in the UK and they only take the top six. So I actually didn't even make it to the home Olympic Games, which was a big loss for me. Like it was a huge, huge grievance. It was like a death in the family almost, not making it there. It was, it was so bad, man. I, know, like, yeah. I can't, I I can't describe it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so basically like I, I learned the hard way sort of through trial and error, one way that worked for me didn't work for others and the way that worked for them didn't work for me. Right. And, um, uh, 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 trying to discover that and like quantify that a little bit more at the time. I actually met a guy who was starting this company looking at the role of genetics in your individual response to training and different types of training. And, um, I learned some things in there, which were like astonishing to me and sort of spoke so closely to my journey that I'd found it through trial and error. I just said, Hey, by the way, this is my story. This is what you've told me with this test. Well done. Just the, like a swab that you put in your mouth and rub on the inside of your cheek and send off to a lab could identify that I was quite an anomaly when it came to Olympic sprinters in the way that I was made genetically. I was like um, quite unusual for the average Olympic sprinter. So by default, the way I trained should have been unusual too. Yeah. And, um, and it kind of met with that. And so I was just like, this is cool. Maybe we should do some work together. And we started working on, on the, the product. And um, that led me to what I do now, which is head of product. Basically, how do I translate genetic research and science into exercise, nutrition, and sort of well-being advice for our customers? Okay, that's, that's really cool. And I did use it a few years ago. And it was, it was good because it was closure for me about certain things which I thought may have been the case. So say um, yeah. So that's when you're a sports person that's been through that journey, right? You often just need that reconfirmation because you've tried a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. Um, or but if you're a beginner, then you, you're like, hey, where do I start? So it works both ways, really. Yeah, it was even like my power to endurance um, ratios and things like this. Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll be the first to admit. So um, 
back in the track and field days, I would say 200 meters is too far to run. That's, that's yeah, the way yeah, that I, power beast, yeah, that's yeah, the way yeah, I keep yeah. it. So then I enter this world here of playing football and sometimes we go, oh, let's go for a five minute run, a six minute run, a this, that and the other. And I just, I just I have no interest in it at all. My body just doesn't like it. <laughs> you could say go and sprint this like a short distance over and over and over and I'll just keep doing it. But yeah, let's go for this like 10 minute run. And I, like it fills me with so much dread because I know my body doesn't react well to it. And as well yes. as that, there was the um, dietary side where I found out, sorry guys, this is breaking news, I'm lactose intolerant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was interesting because I don't really complain much, but for the first, say, seven years of my career, maybe more, I was in a place where I would always feel terrible before a game, during a game, and after a game, that my stomach would be in knots, and it, like it's affecting the way that mm -hmm. you run around on the field and all this stuff. And I just thought it was normal i thought everyone was going through it because i don't like to complain as i say and yeah. my routine was pretty similar i'd be having lots of like dairy based products before games and so on protein shakes oh, and that yeah, it works. Like, yeah. chucking yeah. it down i would be chucking it down and then i did the test and it's completely it said it outright you are lactose intolerant so from that yeah. point i changed the stuff i'd be having before games and infant and i feel infinitely better during games and after games and stuff i'm like oh my gosh i felt like i had a cheat code i finally figured out who i was but, <laughs> yeah but that's it right we were a number of like you know professional soccer teams over the years right? and this, this simple stuff and you're like hey by the way you know if you've got a soccer team the chances are they're pretty ethnically diverse they're yeah. from different backgrounds and so you can't treat them like the same way right when it comes to nutrition because we're all built differently and we just say hey guys actually these five players, they're lactose intolerant. So maybe that protein shake with tons of dairy in, that might not be the one for them, you know? So, yeah. like, and you're just going to make them bloated. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the only thing. I didn't realize you'd had that same uh, story. Man. Yeah, really literally. It was, it was, yeah. It was, I just want to say, I don't like to complain, but the first few years of my career were very painful. Like I was doing what I was doing, <laughs> but I was not in a good place. I was not in a good place. So what, you, so what, what you're saying is uh, that, that pain, it's not much more than pain, right? You're causing some bad smells around yeah, for everybody else. <laughs> no, nah, smells like roses, my friend. Let's not even get into that. <laughs> okay, okay, but, that was, but that was what I deemed to be normal because, you know, as I say, I, yeah. I don't like to complain, but thankfully the way the games progress through more data and investigations yes. and things being more individualized, I'm going to be leaving the game within the dis not too distant future or whatever at a point where I've been looked after properly for the past year, two years, three years, because they know what I am. They know yes. what I can take and what I can't take instead of that one size fits all approach, which existed like not that long ago, looking back. Well, yeah, even, and even in like, you know, pretty big deal teams we've worked with, right? You know, like some of the leading teams in the premiership. And um, you can't believe how old school some of the thinking is. But I have noticed that, especially in the last three, four years, when we go into soccer clubs now, there's a very different attitude. Um, it's really sort of modernised even in the time I've been working in soccer clubs. So, so that's that's good news. I guess it can only be a good thing. Yeah. Um, can you talk to me about your role with Greg Rutherford? And firstly, I know who he is. You know what I mean? Like the I'll nation. explain who he is. Yeah, please yeah, explain yeah. who he is first. So people don't don't so people can put some respect on his name, please. So Greg Rutherford is um, one. Olympic gold at the London 2012 Games from the UK in uh, the long jump. So um, for anyone that sort of wasn't there in London 2012, wasn't watching, wasn't in the UK, like we had this amazing night of track and field, which we call Super Saturday, where three of our athletes, Greg, 
Mo Farah and Jessica Ennis all won gold in the space of 45 minutes. And it was like a, it was like a nationwide like moment, a defining moment in like people's lives. Everyone will remember where they were when it happened. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and so Greg was one of those. So he became like a pretty, uh, pretty incredible athlete. Actually, he's doing a long jump, won gold there, won every single championship there is to win uh, from world championships, uh, Olympics, Europeans, Commonwealth, etc. Um, so yeah, a very successful uh, athlete. And um, you know, one of my, uh, good friends uh, best friend in fact and um he's the best man at my wedding i'll be the best man at his next year so um so yeah we, we're really really good friends and at a certain point he actually had an agent who um and this is probably a story you've heard loads in especially in soccer who stole all his money right no, <laughs> so, so yeah it's so common right? so he had an agent who basically ran away with a load of money um didn't go well and we had this company DNA Fit which was already doing uh, quite well and working in the sports space and we said why don't we actually just help and take over so we set up like a little side business within business to look after Greg's like commercial affairs and basically had a friend he could trust looking after all these like agent stuff so um so that's been great for me because it's kept me closer to the sport uh, not just in business uh, and like working with my best friend as well so it's been really interesting do you know between him and Ed Sheeran, who do you say is the most popular ginger in the UK? <laughs> I think Ed Sheeran's like the most popular ginger worldwide ever in history, right? So I think you might be close, maybe he's a close second after that. Yeah, but, okay, that's not. That's yeah, not we're not that's we're not talking global A list, but okay. we are talking like yeah, pretty yeah, big deal. That's not, that's not a bad second to come to. Be fair. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So, yeah. how have you found learning on the job then, doing the work for him? So, like everything I've ever done is just learning on the job, really. And <laughs> so, so you just turn up and like, what's my best guess? Okay. I reckon this is a decent way to do this contract or whatever. So, and it's been good because we've done some great things like, um, the UK equivalent of dancing with the stars. That was like a big deal here in the UK, strictly come dancing. And, uh, you know, or we did a book, uh, an autobiography as well. Um, and you know, now he's retired. So actually the work transitions into even more just like general celebrity stuff. And you've got to, you've got to adapt and work. And, and I've got to balance that with the day job too, of like the, the DNA fit business as well. So yeah, it's good, it's good to, it's good to like keep your brain, um, on its toes as it were. Yeah. What, what are his long-term plans? <laughs> So Greg's um, a really, really good uh, like TV presenter. So he's doing a lot of TV, TV work, a lot of broadcasting. Um, and uh, next year at Tokyo 2020, he'll be one of the lead uh, broadcasters for Eurosport, who have like the biggest coverage of the Olympics. So, um, so yeah, long long term plans like to do even more and more in broadcast. Yeah, you see with him obviously being a multiple world champion, Olympic champion, all this stuff. I always say to people, there's something about being the number one at something especially in a sport which i find incredible like you can literally step out of your house and there's not one single person anywhere near you who can do what you do better than you and you can go <clears> anywhere <throat> in the world do you know that feeling like how i wonder what that must actually feel like you know you're, yeah, you're never like, know. Like, <laughs> i've never known like within my sport there's so there's certain people like say they're, they're loads of players better than me like probably hundreds if not thousands but then there aren't any players better than Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo to yeah. the point where if I'm, I could be in a space where I'm in a building with a thousand people and I am a footballer and they're talking to me about me being a footballer. If either of those two people walked into the room, I wouldn't even bother saying I'm a footballer anymore because they are, they are a footballer. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like what's it like being, I wonder what it's like being that guy. It must be a funny, yeah, it must be a funny uh, like feeling, right? You can literally be like, there is actually objectively no one else in the world that's yes. better than me. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Like, it must just be a funny thing because, you know, I've obviously, I've experienced that on a micro region. You know, like, yeah, I'm the best guy in South Manchester. Yeah. Or I'm yeah. The best Listen, guy, no, you've, so you've, far you've as... won English schools, haven't you? 
Yeah, yeah, and I won the I won the, the senior champs as yeah, well. So, so uh, on one on one occasion, I was like, I am the best in the country at this right now. Yeah, but like to do that in the world, can you imagine? Like, like literally, a, just go to an airport, fly <laughs> anywhere, and you're still the best. There's still no yeah, one like, anywhere near you. Is, what you do. There is no one on this yeah, earth who is better than me. This. Nobody anywhere. <laughs> Very good. What great, th- a great, <laughs> a great feeling. I guess. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> what What do you think it is that sort of made such sort of makes him special as a human being? in terms of what he did and what he's going to do? So I think um, you have to have a fearlessness, right? And the the home Olympic Games, at that biggest moment in history, he won his first gold medal, basically, right? And, uh, you know, so you have to be willing to be just, to just go for it. And the biggest, the biggest facet of Greg's personality I could have probably identify is his risk-taking desire. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he just loves taking risks. Like, you know, as a, as a sports person, you'd think he'd be really protective of his body or whatever, but in the, in the run-up to, like, Olympic Games, he's out, like, mountain biking or skiing. <laughs> like, so, right, so, okay. so, like, and I think that fearlessness, that, like, you know, I'm just going to go for everything as I do. I'm just going to go for it was probably when it comes to the competition and the same with you guys, right? When it comes to like the Champions League final, let's say all those players there are pretty much of the same type of like innate ability. You have the same talent levels. You're all there. You're all amazing. But the thing which differentiates the winners is just the ability to somehow seize that opportunity to not be crushed by the big opportunity. And I think, you know, so those like almost, um, crazy personality characteristics really shine through like the, the being a bit weird like being a bit being a bit strange are the things which differentiate the absolute champions from the people that were just there at that top level so yeah for greg i'll say like you know the fact that he won those medals is not because he was the most naturally talented of jumpers at all but he was the most um the one that had the best ability to just execute without fear or even with the fear and just do it anyway um and that that's like the that was the common factor i'd say across the five years where he kind of won everything yeah what a guy national hero <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, he's doing national yes. things and so on i'm going to lead into this but you used to be a music producer that's right yeah that's right that's just, right just a producer or was it anything else <laughs> so yeah i could mean listen i could play drums guitar DJ as well, um, but yeah, mostly like a producer. I never, never did anything in front of the mic, should we say? Okay, and what were you producing? <laughs> yeah. What sorts of? So, so mostly hip hop. Um, so my brother's a professional musician, and we used to have this like music studio in the, the basement of our house. Um, and so I used to just like hang around there when I was really young, right? And then, um, and so I just got really into it. So most mostly producing, I was like a really big hip hop fan. And uh, I just got into doing that. And um, amazingly, for a certain period of my life, it kind of like. It was like kind of what I did, which was kind of weird. And then the, the track and field kind of got too serious at the time. Okay. And so the lifestyles didn't meet, you know, they didn't they didn't fit each other. But um, but it was pretty good. But it culminated in a really random uh, anecdote, which no one ever believes me when I tell them. But I produced the number one single in Botswana <laughs> in 2003, <laughs> and it broke the record. Let me just let me just clarify: it broke the record for the longest standing number one in Botswana in chart history at the time. So 18 weeks at the top of the charts. Uh, can you tell me how that <laughs> came about, please? Like, what's going on? So, there? so I, don't, I can't remember while well, you were down the track. I don't think you were, but um, this guy came down to train with us, who was from Botswana, and he was over studying in Manchester on like a placement. And um, he he was a rapper, and he got we got to like conversation conversation about the fact that I was a hip hop producer, and he was a rapper, and we did did some tracks, and then he went back to Botswana. And the next thing I knew, he was calling me like, oh, this thing's a hit. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's number one. And I was like, oh, wow, Where, where's the royalty check? But um, no, it never came. It never oh, came. Yeah, I'm sure it's on his way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I'll come back. But, um, so yeah, that, that random turn of events, but it's a good anecdote anyway. Would you, uh, would you ever get back into it? 
Man, I'd love to. I'd love to. But just kind of like, you know, I feel like partly it's a young man's game. And, um, oh, you know, like yourself. I'm I'm too old. I'm too old now. Hey, but no, I, I still do it. Listen, you know, I still still play the piano. still like, you know, mess around with it on my computer every now and then. But, um, you know, it's my brother who's the actual musician and the real musician, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a shame. So I, yeah. follow, I follow you on Apple Music. Um, I, I really appreciate everything that you will be listening to because we have a similar ear. But Yeah, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> but there's something which lets me down and I need a ex- full explanation from you. Tell, tell so, me. I, I saw you what you were listening to the recent Kanye West album. Yeah. Right, and I need to know why. <laughs> yeah. But more just out of like weird curiosity. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like just like, what's going on with that album? But you, you <laughs> need to realise that there is a stamp your name is stamped next to that album now. So this is why I just <laughs> was listening to it. It's like it's endorsed by me. It's yeah. endorsed by so, me. So There's the one um the one track that um uh this gospel track, the one that with uh with the guys from the clips. Yeah. And obviously the content I'm not I'm yeah. not up for, right? But yeah, but but the I don't know, that the vibe of that is like classic Kanye and I really liked it. You, the, you my friend, a, the are an enabler. You're an enabler. I am actually I am. We need to we need to just all step away. Yeah, literally. just let him let him let him come to terms like, with what he's I'm doing. The, I'm the same back. as you. Like I'm a I'm a big clips fan, so I would have wanted to listen yes. to that. But he's on yeah. his antics, so I'm not gonna listen to it. I'm gonna spend my True. whole life and have never heard it. Even though I really wanna like hear what they're saying. I'm just not gonna do like, it. If you if if you ever you know if you ever drop that guard, that's the one track. Like those guys on there, they, they've 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 endorsed it. It's probably the least religious. Of you know, them as well, it's, not even, yeah. it's not even just the religious concepts of it because that's fine. It's just him as a human being. It's just, so it's just my guard is never going to be dropped, and I'm just going to be throwing haymakers in yeah. for the rest of his career. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so here's some trivia for you, and this is for the yes. guests as well. A lot of people know me from running around on the field, kicking people, and so on, or missing headers and missing goals and whatever. But I actually have a claim to fame, and it's to do and it's to do with music. Do you know what it is? Oh man, I don't know if I do. Okay. So this is I'm gonna I'm gonna describe this in a way which will make it sound like I'm clutching, and it's because I am kind of clutching. Okay. So my mother's brother, yes, this is my yes. uncle, yes, yeah. He is married, yes, yes. So the woman is my aunt, yes, yes. So my aunt has some brothers. Two of those brothers, <laughs> yep. They make they make music, yep. Okay. Okay. So that's, I'm not like overly clutching. I don't know what to call them. I don't know what to call them uncle or just say their first name. But you know, there's, there's a line yeah. there, yeah? Because, yeah? because like my auntie's um, kids are my cousins. They're direct cousins, yeah? So there's, there's something Yeah. There. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's so not that far. Yeah. if I said one of those uncles, quotation marks, is called DJ Pied Piper, and the <laughs> other one is called um, the Unknown MC, and I was to say to you that in June 2001, their track "Do You Really Like It" achieved status as being the UK number one. It's a big track. It was a big. It's track. a huge track. Can I? It can still I, is. It still is. Can I hold on to that and say that's family? Yeah, it definitely is. Okay, 100%. cool. So my family I mean, number look, one. What do you know about music it's, about it's Botswana? Not, it's not a Botswana in number one, mate. But, yeah, <laughs> but you know, you know, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll that have was to, a big track. Yes, that was a huge track. At yeah, the time. so that's yeah. so when it was going on, I remember being in shock, like, oh my god, like this is family. They're doing it, but then when I actually have to describe the link. It's like, well, you know, um, this bloodline and then that 
so yeah, that's that's my link to music. So you can you keep can, your yeah, you can just, just call them, just call yeah, you can just call them uncles. Yeah. two of your uncles. Listen, it doesn't <laughs> matter it. that I've seen them five times in my life. That doesn't make yeah. a difference. You've that's, got the reflected glory. You've got, and the question is, are they doing the same with you? Going, hey, well, actually, my sister's husband. <laughs> 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 he approached your football. Do you know what? I think I think <laughs> yeah, at one yeah. point they were, but they're probably not anymore. But anyway, let's move uh, okay. on. Okay. So so when I uh, <laughs> when I eventually start playing football, I've actually got a plan in terms of keeping fit. Um, I want to play five sides, and I want to go back mm-hmm. to the track. Okay. Yeah. So I spoke to Carlos about this, and he was, <laughs> but he was like, "Don't be silly. That's just daft." He he needs to go back to the track oh, too. He, <laughs> so, he needs to stay on the track for a few years. But anyway, <laughs> so um, I said, oh, "This is what I want to do," and I think for the years that, like, I I just had to stop doing athletics because I I was playing football and it took up all my time. Whereas before, I'd always do uh, the athletics in the summer, football in the winter, and so on. But you they, you get conditioned here to the point where if you do a forty meter sprint, it's quite far, mm. which is like it's really weird based on where I came from, and it doesn't really suit me. But yeah, a, I'm gonna have to do speed endurance to get back to 100 meters, which is like, yeah, you are, which yeah. is like as wild as it comes. But yeah, that's that's my plan, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you'd like to get involved or if you're still doing it. I'd love to, mate. I'd absolutely love to. Now, what I will say is, uh, for a few years after I retired, I actually kept fit right? and I became more of an endurance athlete than oh, a sprinter God. so I, I've run some fast 5k's over oh, the years you like, weirdo so. you weird <laughs> human being who does that I, I, and you know what I'm far far prefer it <laughs> like I much much prefer this endurance running than sprint stuff you know, you but are the I'm ready I'm ready to step back in you are I'm the ready exact to step opposite. back in you yeah. are the exact opposite of me I'll tell you that for free <laughs> yeah that's it our power endurance ratios are very different yeah. very you know different what? I just had, a, just had a thought as well so it was a year ago I said to Anika that um after I retire, I want to have a race. I want a racer in a, I think in two hundred. But she's realised that she doesn't want the smoke, and she's retired. Do you think that's that's interesting? <laughs> is that coincidence yeah. or is that? Is that... Yeah. There's no coincidence there. I know what's happened, Annika. Like you can't hide from that. <laughs> but I tell you another thing though, which might actually put, push back my retirement, is that if I do start running track and if I do decide to run, um, compete or whatever, the age group that I would be in if I'm thirty four is from i think it's from 21 to 34 whereas if i run yeah. at 35 it's 35 and above so that's right yeah so, so now i'm officially a veteran yeah so, I can run so if i run now <laughs> so me so me currently sitting at 33 might just prolong my footballing career because i do not yeah. want to be running against 21 year olds i'll tell you that for free it's good that you've got a really strong motivation to keep playing soccer. Yeah, you don't, you want, know, it, you don't I, want to be. A, I just love it. <laughs> you I, just love it. I just love it. I just love it. I'm not buying time. I just love it. I just no, love the game. I'm ready. It'd be, it'd be very interesting to see if maybe me and you we'd have to race over like oh, to make it fair. Don't say three k or something like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe like a three hundred. Because right. one hundred, you're going to kill me. Like, even if I, even if you're completely unfit, two hundred probably still. But 300, maybe. Maybe I can take. Right now, yeah. in my current state, I don't know if I could finish a 300 full speed. I'll be honest it's with you. It's a long way. It's a long Yo, way. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be approaching a bend, doing a bend, no. and then going straight no. again. That's too far. None of that. None of that. It's too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's way too enough. far. Can it, yeah. well, I, I we'll to... do it. We'll do We get the race on anyway. All right. To, to close, I want you to be completely honest with me now, yeah? Yeah. You ready for this? Um, I'm ready. It's, it's kind of fun, but kind of like just you talking about your career as well. So from an athletic standpoint, uh, we know that you are, you told me that your high is winning the um, the Olympic bronze in the yeah. end, but what is what's your low been? I mean, probably like the the three months it took me to get over not even making the team for London twenty twelve. Like that was just so bad. I can't I can't like I can't like be be 
too hyperbolic in that. It was so bad because everything, and I'll tell you why, from when we were awarded the Home Olympic Games in 2005, every single day, more than once a day, someone asked me, hey, are you going to be at London 2012? Are you going to be at London 2012? Are you going to be at London 2012? No matter who you met, that was the question on their lips. And then I was really good and I was an Olympic athlete already at peak age to be at the Home Olympic Games and I didn't even make the team. It was like, it was so bad. I, 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 I actually went up to my family had a caravan in the Lake District. <laughs> I went down on my own and I just like ran and ran and ran in the rain and stayed there for like weeks. Like I was like a hide from society. So that was that was absolutely the lowest point in my career. No question. Yeah, that's not great. Um, how about <laughs> in terms of being in the stadium? What's the best performance you've seen live? Oh, um, so let me think where I've been. I wasn't in the stadium when Bolt won the 100 uh in beijing i was watching it on the tv um but i have been present for a world record um i think it was a safa power one of a safa powers world record in 100 meters so i've been present for there for that and you when you see these 100 meter runners like leave the blocks at that pace um like you it's like it's like an out-of-body experience that you just can't even imagine like a human being can go from stationary to so fast so quickly yeah. so so that's like pretty amazing like witnessing something like that uh, who is in your dream 4x4 relay team but you're involved so you can only pick three people okay um, yeah so yeah me Michael Johnson 100% Wade Van Niekerk who's the uh, South African uh, world record holder now took Michael Johnson's world record yeah. Um, in 2016, he's really yeah, super yeah. injured now, oh, he? but he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, so that's that. And then, yeah, I'd probably run with um, with probably with you know, ideally, even though it might not be as fast, one of the old, one of the lads from our old training group. Like, so maybe like put Rick Yates in. So let's go. He, he'll he he might let the team down with the standard because he'd be a couple of seconds off the pace. <laughs> but you know, uh, it would be, be good to have a fellow Mancunian in that squad. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Right, can you tell me, we're going to talk about stars that you've seen across the years. Who would you say okay. is the most underrated? Underrated, what, yeah. from a track and field perspective? Track and field perspective, yeah. Like maybe someone who doesn't necessarily win all the medals, but certainly has a lot of potential to do so. So, um, Kim Collins, probably. So, you remember Kim Collins, 100 meter, and I won the world championships in like 2001 or three. Yeah, he's old, isn't he? Is he retired? And he's still going. No, he's still going. He's like 43 and he's still running under 10 seconds, you know? So, so like the fact that he just stuck around, not like, you know, he's not there going, oh, poor me. I've not won another goal since. He's just churning it out, enjoying his life, and actually running really quick still for, you know? So, um, that's, a, that's, that's, that's pretty inspirational, I'd say. How about most overrated? Oh, um, this is this is going to be the headline. I'm gonna the podcast going to lead. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a tricky one to think of, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, definitely most overrated is Justin Gatling. So Ooh. he's got a, he's Ooh. got a name. Ooh. He's won a lot of stuff, but this man is such a cheat. And there's lots of other cheats in the sport, right? But this guy has served like two doping bans. Still there. He's like people just like still revere him when he wins and it's like this guy does not does not deserve to be there in my eyes okay that's that's uh i i'm not gonna confirm or deny i agree with what you're saying but i see exactly where <laughs> you're coming from i understand i get your perspective yeah thanks yeah uh if you obviously you're a 400 meter runner but if yeah. you could go back and you could be as good as you were in any sport which one in any event within track and field which would you choose 
Okay. Um, yeah, I'd probably choose the hundred meters, you know, because like I think um, it's there's a, there's a lot of glory there. There's less, bit, yeah. there's less distance in training doesn't mean there's less training sure, okay fair enough there's less um there's Have less discomfort in training there's less discomfort in training like yeah. ask any hundred meter and admit that 400 meters has got more discomfort than the hundred meter training yeah but, no, but, it, right? but most people that do 400 like like you're just sick individuals that you choose to do that well no my reason for doing it is i wasn't fast enough to be any good at the shorter events <laughs> so yeah, like right. so i just, just I keep going keep going up until i can get away with it right so, it's, it's, it. speaking of keep going up so uh i did the 100 my favorite would be the 100 but what would your least yeah. favorite distance be this is the last question what would your least favorite distance be um oh, in fact forget that least favorite event would you have least to favorite be? event yeah mm. Yeah, I probably like hate the um, anything that's like too technical because I've just got no technical skill in that way. So like the triple, the triple jump, like it's just a really weird skill to be good at. Like, um, you know, uh, if you want to be the best in the world at something, it's really weird to be the best in the world. Someone that like does one jump off one leg, then changes legs, and does two jumps off that, and then, and then lands in a sandpit. So probably that'd be my least desirable. Do you know, I think for me, I'd go for something to do with throwing. Because a lot of those throwing yeah. events, especially when it's not like final time and it's not a big name, people tend not to watch it, I feel like. Yeah, you know, no one's watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no just one's there watching. throwing in a stadium then, on their own. Yeah. And then your skill, yeah. like you can throw, you're really strong and you can throw things really far. Like that's great. <laughs> but deep down, like this is a hot take. I don't think anybody cares. But anyway. They don't, and no one can relate. You know, yeah, No one's ever exactly, tried to yeah. throw a thing like that. <laughs> so, do, you know what? Yeah. I've, do you know what? I've never held a javelin and thrown it out into a field. I've never done that. But, I did once. I threw it nine meters. So, <laughs> so that, that was like two meters itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So about five. I made. I made a difference about five meters, probably. <laughs> Listen, it all counts. But thank you very much, man, for coming on the show. And it's you know, a pleasure. Thank it's, you for having me. I've I've enjoyed this because this was a life which I could have led myself. Obviously, maybe not as successful as you could have been, but at the time we were both quite successful within the the nation at that time. So. Listen, yes. you made you made a good success of the other way too. So yeah, <laughs> so listen, I, I don't regret it. I don't regret it, but it's good. But it's good to hear how it went for you. Nice, no, good. Thank yeah, you very much. No, thanks for having me. Good speech, you pal. Take care. Cheers. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that. He's been a friend of mine for twenty years, and someone that has always inspired me. And even in retirement, he's still doing the same thing. And you know. I think I'll be able to beat him in a race when I retire. So please look out for that one in the future. And with that, I'd like to say thank you to producer Ryan for sitting across from me and saying nothing. To Mountain Air Studios in Draper, Utah. And listeners, it's only going to keep getting better. So thank you for listening in. And if you have any voice memos, please send them to digitalrsl.com and reach out to Rail Salt Lake on all major social media platforms. Till next time.